Bet365 sponsors our podcast and features over 300,000 sporting events on their betting app. It's got everything you'll ever need to bet on sports. The app lets you access pre-match and in-play markets and provides instant match updates. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and the Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello. All right? (laughs) You're right. You sound very different. What's going on? (laughs) It is still you, isn't it? Because we're not sitting next to each other. We're not allowed, even if we did live near each other. We're 140 miles, is it, did you say? Yeah, I worked out that we're 140 miles away from each other, and I did work out the number of Peter Crouches that we are away from each other. When I replied to somebody on Twitter earlier, is that is that an official uh, unit of unit of length these days? A, a Peter Crouch? Yeah, a Peter Crouch, because that's how far away from each other we're meant to be. Ah, uh, okay. So it's not a very British thing, is it, to keep your distance from somebody? But we actually have to. So, oh, here we go. I replied to someone, and it is one hundred twelve thousand six hundred fifty-four Peter Crouches apart. Incredible. Peter Crouch rule. Okay, so whenever anyone comes anywhere near you in the supermarket, you say, think Peter Crouch, roll him out in front of us. <laughs> uh, anyway, how, how's all this affecting you? What are you up to? Um, well, I, I work from home anyway, so not a huge amount of difference on that front. But yeah, social life's really taken a hit, Jackie, not going to lie. And um, I am struggling a little bit with the food situation and and um, toiletries situation. So I, I was, I just thought, I'm not going to panic by last week. I thought, do you know what? I'll let everyone else do it. Everyone else can can go a bit crazy and run around the aisles and stock up for three months. I'm just going to leave it. I'll go as and when. I'll go as and when. So I went um, yesterday <laughs> to try and buy some toilet roll. And uh, as anyone who follows me on Instagram oh. will have seen, I did go a bit mad and um, ended up going to 11, Jackie, 11 stores slash shops slash supermarkets slash pound shops Did and you? couldn't find a single roll appropriate for toilet use no <laughs> could you not, not stock joking. up on man-sized kleenex or some i've other done brand? that I yeah found yeah, yeah. I, I did that early on in the in the adventure hunt that was trying to find toilet roll in stafford <laughs> um and i had lots of very kind offers on instagram from friends etc saying that they'd send some round. but it was a point of principle i just thought i've got nothing else to do it's sunday morning I'm going to find toilet roll somewhere, but I couldn't. You saying the, this was like mild entertainment view? So you got nothing else to do? I know I'll go. On, I'll go on a big hunt around Stafford for toilet rolls. It's nuts. Tissues, baby wipes everywhere. Fine, kitchen roll. But it was a point of principle. I was like, someone's got to be selling it somewhere. But no, it's the great drought of 2020. So my life involves homeschooling at the moment, which oh, is okay. um, slightly traumatic. A lot of people listening to this will be trying to do the same thing, trying to get their kids to concentrate and not constantly let them go outside every two minutes and, and actually do schoolwork. And we could have another six months of this, so. <laughs> you sound delighted. <laughs> oh, it's quite traumatic. But never mind, we're going to get through this together, Tim, separately, 140 miles it. apart and 112,000 Peter Crouches, whatever it is. <laughs> and the Molyneux View family will help us through this because we're all going to talk about football and our love of the mighty Wolverhampton Wanderers and we'll keep entertaining each other. So thank you, everybody, for your tweets. We'll get through some of them throughout the podcast a little bit later on. Now, we're very excited about this podcast. We always are excited about our pods, aren't we? Because we do look always. forward to them and we set up guests who, frankly, we would really like to have on. But today we have an exclusive interview with Matt Wilde, who some of you may have heard of, you're not too sure who he is. Some of you definitely heard of, but probably have never heard him speak before. He is the head of football administration at Wolves, which is a far more interesting role than the job title perhaps suggests. It was club secretary really before, wasn't it, with Richard Skiro. And Tim and I have both met Matt many times, but not too well known amongst supporters. So we are delighted that he has agreed to come on and we'll speak to him in just a moment. And Tim, this is week two of our retro throwback to our favourite matches from the past three decades. Last week was 
frankly, my favourite decade, even though Wolves were in the championship equivalent the entire decade. But this is when I was going every single week, home and away, on the uh, supporters' coaches, my little Fiaduno trains, wherever. Uh, we had Froggy, Super Don Goodman. We had Ewan Roberts, who was just absolutely brilliant as well, wasn't he? Some brilliant, brilliant memories. This week, Tim, what are we doing? Well, yeah, the 90s were kind of, it was a whole decade of in the same division and and underachievement wasn't it but the 2000s there were some serious highs and lows uh throughout the decades lots of couple of promotions relegation etc and uh yeah we're gonna have a very special guest on today um we've chosen our favorite matches from the decade yours is a very obvious one which i think <laughs> that 99 percent of the fan base will have chosen um but you know we've got to choose different um we've got to choose different matches so um I've chosen a little bit more of an obscure one, but people who were there will know what I'm talking about. And our guest today who's going to talk about that game is Mr. Matt Jarvis. We're very excited to speak to him. So that might give you a little clue as to the match I've, uh, I've chosen. But yeah, we'll speak all about that later. Yeah, what a lovely lad he is, isn't he? Really, really top lad. Good to see him doing so well in the media as well. I hadn't really anticipated he'd particularly be be doing too much media work because we didn't hear him talk a huge amount previously, quite a softly spoken lad, but he's full of good insight. So I just can't wait to uh, not grill him. That's harsh. That's, that's not quite what I've been telling. But to ask him what it is like to play for Mick McCarthy and uh, maybe some of his anecdotes because I think Mick's language was probably a lot more colourful, even more colourful in the dressing room than it was in front of a microphone. He did struggle to try and contain himself, didn't he? <laughs> very entertaining. He did. he did, including after the match that, I, um, that I'm going to bring up later. I've, I've pulled up Mick's, Mick's quotes for after the game and they do not disappoint. Excellent, love that. Super Mick McCarthy. Right, let's crack on with the pod and let's get our first guest on. We're very, very pleased to have him on today. He is the Head of Administration at Wolverhampton Wanderers, which is a very senior role, and it is Matt Wilde. Hi, Matt. This must be a really strange time for you as well, I guess, both personally and professionally. Yeah, no, it's been uh, very strange you know, since you know we now find ourselves you know, working working at home, which again raises its challenges for everyone. Uh, and obviously on a personal level, you know, we've got three children as well. So we're now having to factor in, you know, homeschooling as well, my wife and I for the for the foreseeable future. So it's a it's big change. It's a big change for everyone. Quite unprecedented. But you know, we have to, you know, we have to do it, we have to follow government advice. I like the way you said my wife and I. That was very good. Was that on the basis that <laughs> yeah. she might be listening? Let's go back a couple of weeks, shall we? Because Tim told us on the pod last week about the very surreal experience of going to Olympiakos and playing in Athens and frankly not wanting to be there. Tim didn't want to be there. He didn't want the fans there. The players didn't want to be there. You were there representing senior management at the club. I mean, what was it like? Yeah, I mean, I think if we if we go back, it's probably two weeks ago now, we found out in the morning, I think of the Tuesday, that... Evangelos Maranakis, the, the president of Olympiakos, had you know tested positive for for COVID nineteen, and I think at that point, you know, everyone was a bit anxious and a bit you know nervous about you know travelling out there. Jeff and Nuno were, were quite rightly you know didn't didn't want to didn't want to go. Uh, we made an application to to UEFA. Unfortunately, that was rejected you know, on the basis that the the players and all the officials had been in contact with. Their president had taken a test and all come back negative. So we were, you know, it's a difficult position. You know, you're forced into either not travelling and forfeiting your place in the competition. Or, you know, obviously, we don't want that. You know, we've been, it's the first time we've been in the Europa League for, you know, for some years now. So we felt a duty, you know, we're, we represent the club, we felt a duty to, to travel. So we, we, we kept it all back to the bare bare minimum uh, there was literally the players the coaching staff the media and myself you know, which was a very scaled down version of how we normally travel and like you say it was very very surreal I mean Tim you were there you know it was you know I had a box to myself I was sitting in a stand you know with you know 20 25 30 VIPs I mean, they were pretty noisy VIPs yeah they were very noisy VIPs <laughs> weren't they so and it was uh, yeah it was just a bizarre bizarre situation to be in you know and it, it was such a shame for the for the thousand wolf supporters who who couldn't travel in the end uh i think i think that's what was one of the primary reasons why we didn't want to travel not with the house risk as well but we didn't you know we didn't want to play 
we didn't want to play behind closed doors. Can I just ask, Matt? Did did did, did you come close to not going? I mean, obviously there was Nuno was very strong in, in his in his interview he gave a couple of days before. Yeah, he was. I mean, I mean, you know, we'd had several conversations with UEFA, but you know, we you know we are we we, we felt the duty to go once UEFA said they wouldn't mm. postpone it. We, we felt we you know it forced us into a you know a situation, and we felt we you know we had to travel. Um, Credit to Olympiacos, you know they they'd given all the insur- written assurances and they tested all their players and you know we'd we'd get we'd scaled down our travelling party we'd made provisions at the hotel for us to be on one floor uh, to avoid any public areas you know UEFA cancelled the press conference the players didn't have to come into contact with anyone unnecessarily so you know we we did as much as we could uh, to ensure that we could get over there get the game played and then, and then get back uh, as quickly as possible, which is obviously challenging as well, given that the game didn't finish till midnight. <laughs> and we had to stay overnight and then travel back on, on Friday. And then you heard that that was it. It was all being called off. And what was yours and Nuno's and everyone's reaction? Yeah, that was strange as well. I mean, we, we I think the initial press release had come out from the Premier League that we were playing at the weekend. And then... You know, within about half an hour, I think, of the final whistle at Olympiacos, you know, we'd heard the news that Mikel Arteta had, had tested positive. I mean, and we sort of knew from then that, you know, it, we, we wouldn't be playing and it was going to change. And then the, the Premier League called a meeting uh, on the Friday morning uh, and we actually waited until that meeting had concluded before we took off, you know, just so we knew what, what, we, were, what we were dealing with. The, the initial postponement was that we weren't going to play again until the 3rd of April or the 4th of April against Villa. Uh, and it was just trying to factor in what we were going to do in the meantime. So, you know, we, we came back, gave them the weekend off. You know, we did get the players in last last Monday, but I think we then felt it probably wasn't right to be bringing them in under the circumstance. You know, they changed together, they showered together, they eat together. Uh, we thought it would just be wise to keep the players, you know, and staff at home until until the Premier League had had their further meeting last last Thursday, in which we then found out that it was being postponed further until the 30th of April, at the earliest. The earliest, yeah. And have all the players been tested, like a lot of other Premier League players have? Uh, we haven't at the minute, no. Uh, obviously, our Dr Perry is in contact with them, you know, daily, more, more than daily, uh, to see if any of them have got, have got any symptoms. Uh, but no, we haven't at the moment, so, but Dr Perry is, uh, is managing that, so... Obviously, players are off now. They've got, you know, individual training programmes. You know, they can book to come into Compton, you know, individually. So they can come and use the pitch and do running uh, as long as they're by themselves. You know, some of them have ordered gym equipment so that they can set up a facility at home. Some have already got gyms anyway. You know, they've all been giving their medicine supplements, paracetamol, etc., face masks. So there's a lot. there's a lot being provided for them during their period of absence. And how does it work on a day-to-day basis? Are you using sort of, um, sort of reading about what various other clubs are doing, some of them using um, data, electronic data, to be able to sort of test what they're doing and, um, you know, just check that their fitness levels are being maintained? Would you know much about yeah, that? Yeah, so they all that use, they've all, they use these watches and, you know, so they're, 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 all, they're all being tracked, every move's being tracked, really, uh, by, uh, by our analysts, uh, Sean and Tom. So uh, yeah, they're, and they're in constant contact with, with our players. So uh, they're definitely being monitored. There's no, uh, they're not getting away with anything while they're being <laughs> while they're being at home. So it's uh, and you know we're doing other bits like that. You know, nutrition's another big part of it. You know, we're we're making sure we're getting weekly food shops in where they can come and collect stuff from their training ground. You know, meal plans so they know how to cook it. Um, so there's we're doing as much as we possibly can for them to. To help them, I bet they're well chuffed. Their footballers aren't they? They get their food supplied to them. That's the biggest yeah, thing at the moment. Yeah, I know. Well, find a toilet roll in the whole establishment. Well, yeah, but it, but it's more it's more in terms <laughs> of you know nutrition. So we know that they're eating the right things, and you know that they're, they're sticking to plan, and you know, and not and not wandering off uh, because you know we don't you know at the minute we're back on the thirtieth. We don't know if that'll be extended. Probably will, uh, but you know we have to we have to make sure they come back. <laughs> <laughs> in some kind of decent shape yeah maybe you could ask them if anyone's got a spare toilet roll if they could kick it like maybe chest control it kick it up to Stafford for poor old Tim he's really struggling <laughs> 
Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves and pay the postage of £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener to the Molyneux View, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They're now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine Ferment and a beery snack is thrown in too. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash wolves to get your case free. And don't forget right now, listeners get two extra free beers. Yeah, because some players have home chefs that they hear about Harry Kane, Kevin De Bruyne, have stuff cooked for them during the normal season. Um, But is it a case of dropping stuff off and then they cook it themselves that kind of thing yeah i think we're the case i mean obviously which we're trying to limit as much contact in there and, and put in effective social distancing measures as we, as we possibly can so you know our chef is you know is in contact you know with food provisions and you know menu plans etc you know so they can you know we should be able to to cook but probably not we're probably not at that level yet with uh, private chefs <laughs> I like, we give it a couple more years we might be there I like the idea of like a little meal plan and, and Rui Patricio being given like some a tin of beans and some bread and being told how to cook beans on toast <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my husband would watch that he loves all those cookery programs but uh, but what about um, the interesting thing is like the mental health side of things I heard uh, Kevin Nolan mm, the mm. other night talking about at West Ham how, mm, mm. how they divvy up a certain number of players per member of staff um to just check yeah. in on them, really. just check mentally, because they won't all have families surrounding them. Some, I'm guessing, will be single, maybe living in flats without gardens. And and it's it's not just players as well. I mean, and that was that was one of the the primary concerns, I think, from Jeff, our chairman, and, and probably just to mention Jeff. I mean, that he's he's been fantastic really over the last you know two weeks. You know, he's had this sort of commendable desire and effort to. For us all to you know to do our duty and you know trying to stop this spread of the virus, you know, and the effects that he's bringing to you know the local areas and the UK, you know, so he sort of set up these teams if you, if you want in effect, you know. So Steve Sutton, our head of operations, is is looking at everything, you know, work related, you know, who's on site, do they need to be on site, are they working safely on site, you know, are they having their temperature checked, are they wearing masks? Uh, you've got obviously Max. Fitzgerald, our head of media, he's doing sort of daily communications to all the staff and players. So he'll raise giving practical advice. You know, he's also looking at, you know, stuff like homeschooling tips, you know, exercise tips for staff, links to exercise tutorials, for example. You know, my ch- children took part in the Joe Wicks PE lesson this morning. Yeah, it was brilliant, uh, wasn't been it? Like, <laughs> yeah, it was great. It me half it? an yeah, hour. Yeah, right, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we're putting stuff on there like light-hearted issues such as you know staffs video attempts at doing the, the toilet roll challenge and uh so i think it, it's important that you know we try and you know keep the pack together you know and and don't lose contact with one another and i think and and the main group and and credit goes to our human resource director zoe brough she set up a care team uh with specific people from from the club you know and they're speaking to all of our employees you know phone them every few days to check on their well-being to see if they need anything you know there's online questionnaires that let us know if they've got symptoms if anyone in the house has got symptoms if is if there's anything they need so and you know, that gets flagged back to us you know as heads of department and and, and the doctors and the care team etc so th- there's a lot there's, there's a lot of contact you know it isn't just you know you're off now and we'll see you you know whenever you know we're, we are we are regularly in contact with everyone uh, from players, you know, right the way down, you know, down to you know, ticket office retail. Everyone uh, is involved in that, and it's been. I mean, it's been fantastic that the you know the proactiveness of us all, you know, at the club. You know, I think it's. I think staff feel some comfort, you know, in these sort of anxious times. You know that you know the club are, the club are looking out for them. Do you think there's a way that 
it might even be that it's bringing people closer together with this kind of way of communicating yeah, and adversity and kind of it's not so much them and us anymore with players, is it? Because they're all humans and so are the staff. And you're all maybe finding out a little bit more about each other. And, and is it bringing yeah, you all together in terms yeah, of right. humour as well, maybe? Yeah, I think, in more, in more, I think you know, I've certainly had, you know, probably more contact with with staff, you know, checking on their well-being, making sure they're okay. You know, we're making the most of, you know, Skyping. We've had lots and lots of video calls, lots of conferences, you know, I'm now a regular on house party. You know, that's just with people, with people, people at home as well. I mean, and, and it's great. You know, personally, I done a, we done a pub quiz on Saturday night. You know, with, with six of our friends, and it, and it's great stuff like that where you can still, you can still interact with people because I think that's the biggest fear. You know, being locked in your house, having no interaction with the outside world. But you know, it doesn't have to be like that. And you know, there's there's lots of ways to lots of ways to communicate. Pub quiz. That's a great idea. I oh, know it's great. Yeah, we've got. We've got yeah, you can join. And we've got. We've got a village one on Friday night, Jackie. So I'll send you an no invite. Way. Excellent. <laughs> All for that. Let's do a Wolves one, shall we, Tim? Should we sort it yeah, out? Yeah, no, we should. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I was just going to say, like, I think everybody will listening will be struck by how quickly and professionally and efficiently wolves have mm. put all these things into action i mean it's yeah. happened so quickly and it feels like you've yeah. been ahead of the curve really again compared to other clubs does that has that a lot of that come from you mentioned jeff earlier but Foson and they've seen what's happened in china and they've put things in place because of that yeah no i think it was i mean obviously they they had it a lot earlier in china than we did and, and it was sort of at the forefront of our minds because we went obviously where we went more weather training at the beginning of February and you know they had a couple of uh, Chinese teams over in over, over in Marbella you know and we quickly had to adjust to that we had to find a different training center uh, and I think we were then we had it in in our minds then about you know uh, the the effects that it might have that it might have on us should it reach the UK and that, that was just one example over there you know trying to find a different training ground so that we weren't interacting and weren't using the same bits of equipment and pitches etc and changing members as uh, as as a as a team that had come over from china so and, and i think definitely the, the education that we've had from Fozen, you know and the sap but the, you know the generosity i mean they've been so quick to send us over you know various bits of you know protective equipment masks etc not just to us as a club you know, but to the you know to the wider community. I mean, you probably see the the press release. You know, last week they donated the I think it was two thousand three hundred pieces of protection equipment to the to the Royal Wolverhampton yeah. NHS Trust. You know, to protect the frontline services. So I think you know it's not just recognise it's recognising the health and community care staff. You know, they're working so hard. You know, they need our help, and you know they also want to look after the cast off as a club as well so they've done so much you know it's been uh, it's been really well received by by everyone at the club it's a brilliant thing they've done and it's made a lot of headlines i know that's not the intention but it, i think yeah, um, no, no. people from the outside perhaps think chinese owner george mendez you know, yeah. investment firm blah 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 yeah. and yeah. you think it's all about money but actually when you when you meet jeff she and when you hear about some of these stories i mean does it do you think it helps bring supporters closer to the club when you've got owners who want to look after the local community like that? Yeah, yeah I think so. And, and 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 the message that you know he put out to to supporters last week, we've had so much positive feedback. You know, it was really the, the amount of empathy in there and to supporters. You know, telling not not to worry and 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 that's and he's relaying really that to staff. You know, don't panic. You know, we're all in this together. We're comrades. You know, and, and and that is his sole, you know, desire. You know, he wants to stop this virus spreading. You know, he's going to do everything in his power to to help and you know and to get his staff and you know and supporters, you know, to 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 buy into that. You know, that, that's his genuine genuine objective in all of this, and it's uh, you know it's, it's to be commended. It, it it really is. Is there anything else you can tell us about what's going on in terms of fans will probably be wondering about season tickets? I know we don't know when, of course, these things are going to happen and anything to do with the club store, maybe online retail. Is any developments there? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're 
yeah, when the ticket office is obviously closed at the moment, although you can buy email and phone, uh, I think retail is still operating online at the minute. I mean, season ticket renewals is, is a hard one at the moment because obviously we don't know the outcome of this season. You know, we're trying, you know, I was on the call last week with the Premier League. You know, I think that there's a genuine desire from, from every club, it, uh, Premier League, to get this season completed. You know, not just people say it's a financial implication, but it's not just that from our side. No, we want to finish it. You know, we're in a, we were in, we are in a really good position. You know, after match round twenty nine, we're only five points off fourth spot. You know, we're still sitting well in the after playing the first leg against Olympiacos. So you know, we want to get the season completed. You know, but it has to be in the right environment. It has to be safe to do so, and we still don't know what impact that's going to have on next season. Uh, you know, and, and the implications that follow as a result of that. You know, player contracts you know that expire at the end of this season. You know, will they need to be extended if we don't complete the season by the thirtieth of June? You know, there's transfer window. Will that be moved? And there's there's so many unanswered questions uh, at the minute. It's it's hard to for someone like me who likes to organise. It's hard to organise anything at the moment when mm. when when there's so many unanswered questions. Uh, so we'll, ha- we'll just have to we'll just have to wait and see. There's another Premier League meeting at the end of next week, so we'll we'll see what what comes out of that. It's particularly in terms of you know scheduling and how how they envisage clubs completing the the 1920 season and, and how that's going to knock on. And is it you personally that has these calls on behalf of Wolves? Well, myself and Jeff will probably be, be on the call, so just to see what. Uh, what what the what they're planning? Mm. What do you reckon? But I'm quite intrigued. I'm quite intrigued to see how they. Well, is it? I mean, we just don't. I mean, at the minute it's the 30th of June. We probably think that might, that probably may be extended, although we're we're not sure. It's hard to you know. There's a lot to factor in. There's still a lot of there's nine Premier League rounds to play. There's Europa League, is Champions League. There's still FA Cup games outstanding. UEFA have now put in the Euros for 2021, which gives an end date to that season of of May which means you have to work back. So if we're knocking into next season and we already know that 2021 season's got to finish by May, you know, it's gonna it's hard to see how everything's gonna gonna slot into place. We've all got our own theories. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what what the, what the Premier League come up with. I know they're working together with other European leagues at the moment to try and find a find a solution. So we shall uh, we'll see. But we're definitely from our side, you know, we want to get the season completed. And are you worried that the Europa League might never be completed? I think I think it will. I think the you know some European countries are, are ahead of us in this than than the UK at the moment. So uh, obviously we're 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 hopeful that the that the Europa League will get completed at at some point. Again, it's just how you know that I, I saw something on UEFA might have even put it out about the Europa League final now being played. I think on the twenty fourth of June or twenty seventh of June, which I think. <laughs> I think they might have jumped the gun a bit on that, but we'll see. You know, we're, we're, at the minute we're just second guessing them because we haven't seen any 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 plans. So until they until they come forward with that, we'll have to see if it's you know realistic or not. But it's just such a shame. You know, we're having we're having such a great journey. You know, we started the Europa League on the twenty fifth of July, you know, and to still be involved in it in March, you know, it's been incredible. And you know, we're, we're all generally. You know, gutted that you know at the minute it's been temporarily suspended. And just very finally, because I know we have to wrap up, and, and you've got a lot of work to do. But how how's Nuno in all this? Because he's such an intense, passionate kind of guy when it comes to his football. And how is he dealing personally with it? Yeah, no, he's fine. He's very you know, pragmatic about it. I think you no, know, the the safety of everyone, his players, his staff, you know, their families, you know, has been has been at the forefront. And that, and, and that was why he was so. Genuinely, he didn't want to travel last week to Greece. He didn't want to put his group at risk, you know. And he's been doing everything possibly can. Him and Jeff have been working together to, you know, make right decisions and you know, do what's in the best interests of you know of the club and you know and his his players as well, especially because he'll, you know, ultimately he'll want to he'll be doing everything he can to protect to protect his squad. Uh, I'm sure he'll be, you know, as eager as anyone for it to start. As soon as possible, but obviously it was in a safe environment. Brilliant! Thank you so much, Matt.
You're welcome. Really appreciate you coming on and good luck with all your conference yeah. calls and homeschooling and everything else yeah, you oh, yeah, juggle. No, no, yeah. yeah, I'm back to it now. I think we've got math now at four o'clock. Oh, no. I've got to get back to it as well. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, dreading it. But uh, good luck with the juggle. And thank the Lord for Joe Wicks. That's all I can say. If you could just do maths yeah, exactly. in English, it'd be perfect. Yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix, an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Fill in a style quiz and tell us about your personal style, your budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. A personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from our selection of 100 brands, including established names and up and coming designers. Try and everything at home and style with other items in your wardrobe you can then pay for what you love and send back the rest for your stylist time you pay a charge of just 10 pounds which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy remember you try before you buy at home delivery and returns are free both ways and you don't need a subscription to sign up stitch fix allows you to save time because they do the shopping for you get started with stitch fix today and support our podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now that's s-t-i-t-c-h-f-i-x .co.uk forward slash athletic. So that was Matt Wilde there, the head of administration for Wolverhampton Wanderers, who has a lot going on. And he was very interesting in what he had to say there, Tim. Yeah, I thought he gave a, gave a really good insight. Like I was kind of saying to him, it's it's so, um, it's a bit more inspiring really how quickly Wolves have put together these provisions to look after their staff. And it just seems like a really well-oiled machine, doesn't it? And everybody's been taken care of physically and mentally I think you'd say from the player's point of view um, so it's it's reassuring to, to hear that everything's possible is being done So we await the next football match whenever that may be but one thing we do know is that there was a lot of football played in the last three decades some of it was quite good some of it wasn't very good um, last week <laughs> we reflected on a decade of Wolves in the 90s which I just loved even though a lot of it wasn't very good but it was still fun and this week it's I'm guessing this might be your favourite decade. Is that fair? Bearing in mind you're a, a wee bit younger. Um, it's the most. Well, yeah, this is when I was I was hitting our adulthood and um, really going for it on the away days. So yeah, it was good fun. Um, yeah, a really interesting decade. It kind of started with the most crushing time that anyone as a Wolves fan will ever remember, which is the season when we're not allowed to talk about um, 2001 2. We don't. We just don't want to Tim, go into it. You do know that um, was my last season of going home and away. Of all these failings, having gone it? home and away through the 90s and not gone up, and I went home and away virtually oh, every match. And do you remember the um, the Grimsby Kevin Muscat elbow? No, no, don't oh, remember it. And then no, the, the confidence just drained out of those players. It, no. And then, no, yeah. So no, we know no, what happened. No, okay, no. so we fell in the playoffs at the end of it, and the Albion went up and Blues, and oh, it's horrendous. And then, oh, yeah, and then, but that's when I decided to change career. So that is when I went back to uni and stopped going every week. And so the following year. That's when we got promoted. It was the first one that I couldn't go every week. It was torture, torture. It's all thanks to you. Yeah. That's fine. Um, yeah, like you say, yeah, promotion the next year, as everyone remembers, with Cardiff, and then so deflating, being relegated the year after, and then two years of a wilderness and apathy under Glenn Hoddle before a rejuvenation under Mick McCarthy and kind of ended the decade on a real high, really. Um, yeah, I was having to think about what match to pick, my favourite of the decade, and there were, there were lots to choose from. The playoff final being the very obvious one and the semi-final against Reading um, before that when Alex Ray scored. And I cried, Jackie, I would admit I oh. cried uh, for the first time at a football match through through joy oh. at a Wolves game. Who'd oh. have <laughs> thought it? What a day. Um, and then obviously yeah, the Leicester 4-3, uh, wins over Albion, 1-0 uh, v Albion in 2007, which I... Guest might not remember. I think he joined a little bit after a four-one win at Leicester, a three-two at Charlton when Carl Henry scored last-minute winner. That's got to be up there. And then from 08-09, which is the season I'm concentrating on here, um, a few really memorable games. Obviously, the title-winning game um, at Barnsley, the promotion-winning game against QPR, five-one against Forest, one-nil at Forest when Kite scored towards the end. Michael Kitely. Um, but yeah, the game I'm concentrating on is 3-2 at Derby when really when promotion was pretty much sealed. I think we all kind of thought that that was it that day. So just to kind of cast people's minds back, um, Wolves had had a real wobble in February. They'd won none of five. 
and then had a massive couple of tight wins, 1-0 at Palace and Sheffield Wednesday, to set them up for the run-in, which they won eight of the last 11. Um, They're up against Blues and Sheffield United for promotion, people will remember. And it came to this derby game on Easter Monday. They'd beaten Southampton comfortably 3-0. I think on the Friday, I remember Dave Jones, David Jones scoring. Um, and this derby game, it was all pretty tight and derby were 2-1 ahead and Wolves scored twice in the last 15 minutes to win 3-2. And I was looking at the table earlier. If Wolves had drawn that day, they'd have been on 81 points. And if the two teams below them had won, then... Blues would have been on 79 and Sheffield United would have been on 78 with three games to go. So it would have been really tight. However, not only did Wolves win with a very late winner from Andy Keogh, but then the results came in from elsewhere. Blues had drawn with Plymouth, one all, and Sheffield United had drawn with Nottingham Forest, nil-nil. So all of a sudden, instead of being potentially look, looking at a three-point gap to third, um, they had, I think it was seven points, was it? Um, Two-third... Yes, it was, seven points. And they could, all of a sudden, from nowhere, they could win promotion the next week, which they did, um, beating QPR 1-0. So, yeah, delighted to bring on um, today's guest, who scored the equaliser in that game. And uh, I'm sure he remembers it very fondly, Mr Matthew Jarvis. Keogh, everybody misses it. And it's in! 15 minutes to go. Matt Jarvis makes it 2-2. Hi, Matt. I'm <laughs> oh, sure that kind of brings back lots of memories. And I can imagine that title running must just be so kind of vivid in your mind. And then the Derby game in particular, is that one that kind of sticks out for you as well? Yeah, that game, I think, was a defining moment towards the end. I think we all knew it was close and we were we were very nearly there. But that game, um, especially, you know, we, we started the game. Keogh scored a, a fantastic goal just out of nothing. I think just the defender was supposed to get there and then, Keogh just nipped in the front and uh, it was quite a long range effort went in over the keeper and and then we went 2-1 down and you're thinking oh no we, we really need to get this get back into the game and it just from there on in you know uh, I scored the equaliser you had everyone I think that that moment um, I've got quite a few pictures of, of that celebration where I've got all mud all down my front and my top and all the players are all behind me cheering and screaming it's a uh, it was a, it was really a really defining moment. Keogh scores the winner from Marlon Harewood's cross. I, th- I think that was Marlon's main contribution during his loan spell. I don't think he actually scored, but that he's sort of remembered for setting up that winner. And then Keogh whips his top off, and there's those celebrations. And I think the club made T-shirts of those <laughs> celebrations <laughs> with Keogh with his biceps. Um, yeah, can you remember kind of feeling? Because obviously when the results went the club's way that day, do you remember kind of feeling that was sort of a defining moment at the time? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. I think you, you would have seen from the reaction and the celebrations, you know, I think I'd just come off just before the end um, and everyone like, was running down a touchline and celebrating in the corner. Um, obviously the fans were incredible. They were going nuts. It was just, you could feel the sort of, I don't know, the, the relief. I don't know that the... the uh, just the raw emotion that was coming out from of everyone from in the celebration. I think they know that was a massive step forward in in getting promoted. And obviously Keogh, I mean he'd gone through he'd gone through a real journey at Wolves. I remember when he first came, he was very popular and then that second season when Freddie Eastwood came in and there was a real kind of Keogh versus Freddie sort of divide because Freddie was the one who scored the goals, whereas Keogh was the one who perhaps didn't score as many. But he did so much work for the team as well didn't he um that kind of made him he, he a favorite with the players i'd imagine yeah i mean don't go wrong he he, did, he got a lot of stick which was you know it was un, unfair on his behalf he um he as, as players and everyone in, in the, involved in the club um that they, they knew what a massive contribution keo did he did all of the unselfish running he, he made the link play between all the midfielders and the striker it meant that myself and kites could stay wide we you know, the two midfielders could pull off into space to receive the ball and Keogh was just always in that, that link position or, or running in behind because if it was Sylvan that was playing up front, he wouldn't want to he want to stay in, in the in and around the box to, to have the goal scoring opportunities where Keogh would do that unselfish running in behind to, to create that space and it wasn't unnoticed by all of the players and he, he had a massive contribution that season and, and to score them two goals was uh, was phenomenal and it, for him it must have been a a really nice uh, feeling to to sort of show that yeah that this I've I've really helped the team which which he did. 
Well, Matt, this is a great memory and it was it was a great match. I remember being there for, I think I was in the press box. I can't remember. I just remember the location I was in and that was <laughs> around the press box area rather than anything else. You always remember where you are. But before we go on any further, I think you're going to have to introduce us to the future star of the Wolves women team <laughs> or Woking women, if that's who you really prefer her to play for. Come on, introduce us. Yeah, so I'm just, uh, yeah, just feeding baby Ella. She's... Uh, She's two weeks old today, actually. So oh. she's, um, yeah, she's uh, she's had a bottle and she's very much nearly asleep. <laughs> and very I don't want to jinx anything, but she's been she's been really really good at the moment. So uh, long may that continue. Oh, bless her heart! Uh, just tell us a little bit more about um, what Mick McCarthy was like, because. In fact, Tim, before we go on, give us those quotes about um, Mick after that particular match. The um, most yeah, so Mick McCarthy quotes, and you have to do it in the Barnsley accent, okay? <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, typ- I was looking at this game earlier, just typical Mick, really. So I remember it as a, one of the most euphoric moments of my Wolves lifetime. And we saw this, we've all seen the scenes at the end of the game. And then what must be, what, 10 minutes after full time? You've got Mick McCarthy absolutely slating the players for the performance. <laughs> He's, I mean, you asked me to do an accent, Jackie. I don't know, you put me on the spot here. But, um, Mick he McCarthy, goes, um, come on. He goes, uh, we were hopeless. Uh, we couldn't play any bloody worse and we won at game. We were bobbins. We were bloody awful. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> so, not a bad expression. I give you that. <laughs> typical Mick, really. But I guess, Matt, that that's just typical him to kind of keep the players grounded even after such a win yeah I think you know as as I've said many times to to everyone Mick was he was just so good at that um he was like back the players 100 percent um whenever he needed to and then just to sort of keep everyone in perspective after the game everyone knew it was such a huge uh result uh, moving forward to the end of the season but there he is, he comes out and he, he makes everyone put their feet back on the ground and making sure everyone's focused again for the, for the next day. And just tell us a little bit more about what he's like, because we hear from ex-players, ex-Wolves players, anyone who's played under him, they've all got really positive things to say about him generally as a man-manager. And, and it seems to be his honesty that really is is the shining light. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. That was the biggest compliment I can give Mick. He was... He was honest, um, you know, whether you liked it or you didn't like it, he was honest. Um, on a Friday morning, you'd have TC walking around the change rooms and you'd get the curly finger and you'd have to go up to the manager's office and then, you know, Big Mick will be saying, All right, uh, you're not playing tomorrow. Um, this is the reason. And you could agree, you could you could not agree, you could uh, put your side of the story across and he'd be like, yep, OK, that's fair enough. And then obviously he'd be like, well, if, if it's not going our way, then I need you to be ready to come on and, and change the game and... And that's what he, he did really well because he kept that group of players together um, and they were all pulling in the right direction. There was no one that was thinking, oh, I hope they lose because um, then I can get myself back in the team. They were all pushing in the right direction. If 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 you played one minute, if you played 90 minutes, you were all wanting the team to do well. And, and that's what him and, and his team did. You know, Terry Connor was fantastic at it. Um, you, you had Ian Evans. You also had Tony Daly that come in as well, the fitness coach. He... These were fantastic uh, people to, for him to be around. It was make a little bit scary at times. <laughs> he had that aura about him. I think when you, when he walked into a room, you you knew he was there, and everyone sort of just quiet down their voices just that little bit, or, or made sure they didn't say anything uh, out of place. Um, but he he was you know he was a great great uh, manager, and um, yeah, he's probably the best manager I've had. Really? Can you just tell us a little bit more about some of the characters that you had in the dressing room? Because I guess to have a, a really fully functioning dressing room, you need the different types, don't you? You need the sort of quite diligent ones. You need the jokers. You need the hyper, hyper professional ones. Which players fitted into which bracket, yeah. would you say? <laughs> um, well, I mean, everyone knows George Ellicobi. He was the, <laughs> I would say, life and soul. Uh, in the morning, he'd be bouncing in. He'd be lively, really loud. He'd always have a smile on his face. That was George. That was the way he was. Um, the jokers in the pack. God, there was loads. Um, Kev Foley's always an underrated one. He's he's one of them. Everyone thinks, oh, he's really quiet, nice. He is, but he's one hell of a <laughs> joker. He goes around always. He's always in amongst all of the pranks that are going on. Um, Steers as well. Um, you've got like the ultimate professionals like Jody. Uh, Jody Craddock, he was he was brilliant, uh, especially because he was the older player in the dressing room that used to just he was like guide us through. I think 
But don't get me wrong, when it was Christmas do time and the fancy dress had to come out, he was the best <laughs> at it. Absolutely brilliant. So there was there was plenty of different characters. But I think you needed that. You always had like um, yeah, Carl Henry and, and Jonah that used to be the ones that they, I think they had like, oh, and Chris and Luma, they had like a, like a debate team or something that they used to, they used to just, the three of them used to go in and just basically argue with each other for like an hour. Um, oh, what? But they, yeah, all good fun. Oh, just anything. They would come up with subject. <laughs> Or, or something about the about the, I don't know the team or something that was going on, and they used to just just argue amongst each other for an hour, but all fun and games there. But it was uh, yeah, so it was um, it, it was a really really good squad, really tight knit, and I think um, you have to be when you're you know you're spending so much time together. And, and for us, we all had that ultimate goal of of getting promoted and playing in the Premier League because it wasn't I don't think there was anyone that really played in the Premier League before that. So you know Mick had brought that that team together. Um, and him and TC had had moulded it into to what it was, and and everyone it was always pulling in the right direction because we all had that hunger to 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 get into the Premier League. So it just it just worked. I've had the um the the privilege of speaking to and getting to know and interviewing quite a lot of that team, like Sylvan, Emacs Blake, and Kevin Foley, and Chris Ulumo and others, and Stearman. And what really strikes me is the sense of like camaraderie that you guys built up. And I think you kind of suggested it there. A lot of you guys were similar age and striving for something. And I think we saw a bit of it last year when it was sort of the 10th anniversary. And it sort of feels like this group will sort of have that bond, you know, all throughout the years. Is, is that how you feel, Matt? Definitely. I think we all still sort of speak to now. Like it is that bond. You know, you, when you experience something like that with a with a group of players, it's, it's you know, it's, it's unforgettable. It's just such an incredible achievement that... Um, the the way we did it, the the, the team we had, um, I just think, you know, we we all we're always going to have that bond, and it was such a such a really good group of lads. And I, I, as I said, we all still speak now because we were we were all striving for success. We were all similar ages, plus with a few older, experienced heads. But it was just it was just a fantastic team. And just looking ahead, sort of a couple of years after that, you made your debut for England, and it was very very proud moment, no doubt for you, but for, certainly for the Wolves fan base because. We weren't used to seeing that. Of course, we remember Bully playing for England, Italia 90, etc. I mean, that was ridiculously special. Um, but it did mean a lot having a Premier League player for Wolves playing for England. Can I just interject at that point, Jackie? I was on Facebook yesterday and um, a memory came up from, what must it be, eight years ago now? And I'd posted a picture as a Wolves fan in those days of, of Matt making his Aww. debut, I think, or in a press conference or something. Um, yeah. It was like a massive thing for Wolves fans at that time because he was the first player since, since Bully. It was special. What was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, as a as a player, it was the you know, it's the ultimate dream to to play for your country. And I'm, I was very fortunate that my that my cap was in Wembley in front of eighty five thousand fans. Um, mm. Just incredible. I had all of my friends and family. I mean, the amount of Wolves fans that have messaged to say they were there and how like I don't yeah, like you say, like proud how. You know, it was one of their own that was there. It was just incredible. I don't even know how else to, to sort of say. It's so many people messaged me saying I was there, uh, always a wolf. You know that it was just brilliant, and I I, I can't uh, I can't thank everyone enough. For it. it was just brilliant. I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's like a dream come true. Well, it was a dream come true. Yeah, wonderful. And no one could take that cap away from you. Really special. I remember going to uh, training. Uh, you were training with England. I was there for BBC. And I just remember being with all the other media who used to you know, seeing England players training all the time. And I was just looking at you, yeah. little lad doing his training with, with England, thinking, well, that's, that's a Wolves player training with England. It was just so, it was so special for us. It was just so unusual and, um, and meant a huge amount. And now we basically make up the... Um, Portugal side so um, slightly different <laughs> times have changed a little bit haven't they that uh, you know if anybody's not an international in the Wolves first team these days it's, it's a little bit what's wrong with him very unusual but um, but those were special days I've got a, a couple of um, questions for you if you don't mind Matt uh, the okay. first one is an easy one the second one's quite hard <laughs> first one is uh, John Bannister asked what advice would you give individually to Triori and Neto okay uh Triore, I, I think if you'd have asked me last season, I would have just said, you know, he's you know, he's got a ridiculous pace, ridiculous power. I think he you know, he's probably the quickest and strongest player in the Premier League by a country mile. So you wouldn't have to worry about that. I think you'd just be looking at trying to get him to slow down when it comes to taking his the cross or a strike at goal. But 
now you look at this season he's obviously worked really well with with the manager of Nuno and he's his his delivery his uh, end product has been massively improved and and that's why he's reaping the rewards and so's the team because his uh, his crossings just come on he's been able to link up really well with Jimenez and and he, he really has improved and he, he you know he's unstoppable at times I've watched him many times this season and he's been fantastic and you just hope that he keep improving which I'm sure he will under this this team and this manager um, so exciting, isn't he? Yeah, I've, God, yeah, he's he's a fantastic player. You just can't believe how how quick and strong he is. When how how does he move like that when he's that size as well? It's just incredible. With regards to Neto, I've, I um hadn't seen him much, and then I've seen him come on in a few games this early part of the season, and you can sort of see what he's about. You can see he's got incredible pace and and a brilliant. Um, yeah, a brilliant turn of pace, being able to to change direction and manipulate the ball really well. Uh, and he's got a really good striker of the ball as well. So I've then sort of seen he's played a few games from the start. He started a few and um, he, he's, he's starting to show exactly what he can do. He's I said, a few of the games he's, he's he's picked the ball up. He's nipped past a few players. He's got his team all the way up the other end of the pitch and he's, he's scored a few goals. I think he's got massive potential to, to really, really, um, to, you know, as we say, he's only very young still. So he's got a lot of time to improve. He's going to be learning off everyone else in the squad. That's, as you say, all internationals. Uh, the managers seems like he's a, he's fantastic. OK, brilliant. So that was the easy one. Um, this one's much harder. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to be quite brutal here, OK? Um, I know a lot of these lads are going to be your mates and your worried words going to get back to them. But if you can, if you can answer this one, James Woolley yeah. asks, ask Matt Jarvis to name his Wolves best 11 of the players he played <laughs> with there. I said, that is, yeah, that's difficult. Um, I'm going to, well, you, you start the goalkeeper. and I mean, how can you choose? I had Matt Murray, Wayne Hennessy, Carl Ikemi and um, Marcus Hanneman. I mean... <laughs> I will. I'll be like you say. I'll be brutal. I will go with Wayne Hennessy purely because he's obviously a fantastic goalkeeper. But I think I've played the majority of the games with him. Um, his you know distribution with his feet was incredible, and and he did exceptionally well in in the uh, in the games that he played with. So I'll go Wayne. Um, <laughs> right back's nice and easy for me. Um, Kevin Foley is the most consistent, underrated right back ever I think he's he never never let, let anyone down he was always Mr Consistent he was brilliant so Kevin Foley right back um, left back is is difficult because uh, when George Kobe first came to the club I had a really good understanding with him it was left side strong side he used to always say to me but he, obviously his injury um, put him back a, you know, a full season and then I, I developed a really good relationship with Wardy and we really really linked up well and uh Obviously, in the Premier League, worked exceptionally well. So, that's a difficult one between them two. Centre-halves. Wow. Just trying to think of everyone that I had. Um, Braddock, Stearman. Uh, yes. I, I, will go, I will go Jody Craddock um, as my first centre-half. Because he, he went out on loan to Stoke. And then he come back. And then he just he was just instrumental in the in the... In the and towards the end of the season, he was he's just that leader. I think he's that ultimate pro, as we've said. Um, and he he done the he done the job he was needed to do with with pulling everyone else into line and using his experience and all of us youngsters around him. So I'll go Jody Craddock, and then it's it's a difficult one. Uh, so I'll be I'll be brutal. I'm gonna go with Steers. Um, uh, Richard Stearman he was I remember the, I remember playing against him he actually played right back when he was at Leicester and we played against him and for the whole game every time I got got the ball whether I went round him whether I didn't he kicked me up in the air every single time <laughs> and uh, uh, every time he went and picked me up and was like oh sorry sorry yeah you're right you're right <laughs> and I was like <laughs> with with his feet he was again he was brilliant he, he done really well for us uh, especially you know in, in the championship season as well getting promoted he really worked hard. He gave everything for the team. So I'll go steers. Uh, right wing was easy. That's kites. Um, and me on the left. I don't think it's when since I was there, the the two of us, we when we were both playing together. I think no one, no team really, especially in championship, could cope with having two wide players. We used to play four four two in the championship. Get the ball wide. Get the ball in the box. And we had 
um, in the championship, you had Looms and Sylvan that used to just get on the end of everything. Um, and uh, but I'd have us two on the wing. Um, in midfield, it's more difficult. See, if you're playing two, I think I'd have to go Cole Henry and Jonah, David Jones. Um, if it was a three, I'd put Edo in there as well. Um, or Milias. <laughs> it's very difficult. I would go Edo if it was a three in there because Edo was had that knack of getting into the box just at the right time and scoring vital goals. He was he was exceptional at doing that and he had that engine to keep going. Even though he always looked like he was absolutely knackered after the first five minutes, he carried that on for the whole game. He had so much energy um, and Jonah was just fantastic on the ball. He always It was nice to have a left-footed player in the team. I think you because most right-footed players all turn out to the right because it's their favoured foot, whereas obviously if you have it left, it comes. So I used to have a really good relationship with Jonah because he used to come out to the left, <laughs> so give me the ball. So I'll, I'll go with him. And then if you're going up front, if you're doing a uh, just one up front, I'd have Doyler because he had everything that you needed to play that role. He would work his socks off for the team. He would hold the ball up. He would, you know, score goals if um, when he had the opportunity. But if you were doing just two, I think I'd have to go with Fletch, uh, Stephen Fletcher. I I had a really good relationship with him. Um, he used to he used to know where I was going to go, and I used to know where he was in the box. It just sort of worked, and we we had a lot of uh, combinations for him to to score. So I'll go with Fletch, and then I, it's very difficult because uh, you've got Doyle, you've got Chris Ulumu, who was fantastic when he was there. Um, in that first season in the championship, um, Sam Vokes was young then, so I can't. Really, I think I'd have to. I'd have to go Sylvan. Just the amount of goals he scored was just incredible. Um, he wasn't bad, was he? And if if he if he if he got the ball in to his feet in and around the box, you knew he was going to at least hit the target. You know, it was either going to be a goal or the keeper would save it. He was. He just had that knack of just creating a yard and smashing it. It was either through people's legs. It was, you know, he was just so good at it. So, yeah, that would be, that would be my turn. Not bad. What a Not team. Sorry for anyone who wasn't in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, disclaimer at the end there. Hopefully yeah. they weren't listening. Thank you so much, Matt. Just finally, um, you won promotion with Wolves. You got your England cap with Wolves. But was your highlight of your time at the club that fashion show that I hosted <laughs> at Molyneux which Mick McCarthy I was told you know oh, was feeling a bit peaky yeah. today so he can't come Was he was ill yeah. he wasn't ill was he yeah. he just didn't want to yeah. come of, of course that was, I don't really think that would have been his sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> but uh, honestly I, I, you know, for some reason I knew you were going to bring that up it was good fun everyone enjoyed it it was, uh, it was a good laugh and it was uh, I think uh, there was a few calendars done, I think, after that. so <laughs> <laughs> You were natural fun. on that catwalk. So you've got another I know you've got punditry and everything after you finish with Woking well, I think or whatever. I needed but... to, uh, maybe, maybe a, few, uh, a few inches taller, I think I needed to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you carried it off well. Thank you so much, Matt. Great to talk to you. Brilliant. Cheers, Thank you very much. Great to speak to Matt. Lovely guy, isn't he? And... Um... Lovely memories of a very happy time, unlike last week when we were all a bit kind of oh, what might have been. Um, but yeah, so that was my favourite game, Jackie. What on earth was yours? I can't imagine what it might be. <laughs> Do you know, I'd love to be original and come out with something that people go, oh yeah, totally forgot about that. Wasn't that a great day out? But no, it has to be the Millennium Stadium, Sheffield United nil, Wolves 3, on the 26th of May 2003 and it's really sad but every year now when 26th of May comes up I'll tell anyone who'll listen God, what a great date you know back in 2003 when Wolves finally got promoted it's fixed in my brain completely well exactly but the people you talk to probably vaguely care where I live in Surrey literally nobody my girly friends (laughs) couldn't give less of a monkeys I will still tell them every single year on May the 26th 2003 was the year that the mighty Wolves finally finally did it and you probably remember how you feel um, or how you felt coming into that match that Wolves got a load of stick for the you've let us down again banner and what have you. And we are thought of in the wider footballing community as being pretty miserable, I think. But we had quite a lot of reason to be that way because we did feel it wasn't just let down. We just felt like, when's it ever going to happen to us? When are mm. we ever going to get out of this position? After 2002. Yeah, totally. And especially after that season, which was... It, it was pretty much cruelty to dumb animals, wasn't it? I mean, going every week and having your hope dissipated 
week by week by week and that lot down the road clawing back that 11 point gap which in March it was 11 point gap over third place to them and then we know what happened the battle of Bramall Lane and and it was so cruel and of course the playoff and and Malky Mackay and the the, you know, the late goal to make it 3-1 away at Carrow Road, which really kiboshed the second leg. And of course, it was another year. So going into that playoff final, I was doing my postgrad in Sheffield because, as I mentioned, at the end of the previous year, I was like, right, I need to change career. I need to retrain. I need to immerse myself in football every day of the week, working in it, even though that meant not being able to watch Wolves every week. That's just how it was. That was a decision I made. Went up to Sheffield, had to miss a lot of the games, obviously, but came down, got a lift with my um, colleague on my postgrad, who was um, a Sheffield United fan and her brother. So we went down on equal footing because we didn't know what was going to happen. I met a friend of mine in the pub. And unlike me, I did actually have a couple of Stellas that day, which I really regretted because it took the edge off everything for me. And I don't really drink normally before (laughs) games because I can't really concentrate. And uh, managed to get a ticket thanks to Cy Lansley, one of the original mailing listers. And anyway, the atmosphere, if you were there, you will never forget it. I was very close to Sir Jack Haywood, actually. And I just kept staring at him because he was only a few seats away we went 1-0 up early on six minutes Mark Kennedy a quarter of the way through the game Nathan Blake scored and of course your your hopes your expectations you're trying not to let yourself think actually we might actually do this you really don't want to think that because you have been let down so many times and it's not being negative it's being wounded and those previous failings coming back to haunt you yeah totally and also I would also say that Sheffield United had a real um reputation for comebacks that season I think they'd come back for, against Forest in the semi um, with quite a dramatic one so so it was kind of even when we we're 3-0 up we were kind of not sure and especially given what happened the previous kind of 12 years or so so although although to the outside it may look like yeah you were coasting for the whole of the game it didn't really feel like that we were still on edge until the thumbs up I think oh exactly and of course right at the start of the second half Sheffield United awarded a penalty and of course all those previous emotions and and previous letdowns and everything goes through your head you don't want to be negative do you but you cannot help it when you're so used to failure frankly from the season before as well but um but we all know what happened then Matty Murray legend they missed the penalty Uh, Michael Brown who I see in press boxes now and remind him and he hates it (laughs) he's a top (laughs) lad by the way but I'm I'm really sorry Michael but whenever I listen to you on the radio I still think about the 26th of May 2003 um and he's cool about it he's cool about it. he had a great career but when he didn't score it did you think that was probably the moment that actually maybe we're not going to do what we always do and maybe we're actually going to do um, what we never do, which is get promoted. I don't know if right at that moment, but certainly as kind of the second half dragged on, I thought this is it. And then, but yeah, I, you didn't really celebrate until quite near the end. I'll never forget that kind of day and that time because it's been sort of sullied a little bit by what happened the next year, you know, relegation mm. and disappointment and Sir Jack finally leading Wolves to the Premier League and then not spending money when we got there. It was just all such a letdown, but... For that that month and that moment, nothing beats it for me. Not even what's just happened. And I, I remember when Wolves were promoted last year. Some fans did say the same on Twitter. It's almost as good as 2003, but not quite because you've got to remember the year. As we talked about, the years of disappointment finally leading to this moment and really thinking that something special is going to happen here. And I remember the celebrations that night. We all got there, put special trains on to Cardiff from Wolverhampton, and we all got back in town. And um, out by the Royal London, we went for a few drinks and there were a couple couple of players there, Jolene Lescott and Lee Naylor were out. And you can imagine the thousands of people just descending on them. And uh, it was quite annoying, actually, because um, my white away top had somehow found its way into the hands of a girl I was seeing at the time. And she got it signed by Jolene Lescott and then she kept it. And I never saw it, <laughs> never saw it again. I was absolutely furious. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, no, like I said, that time, the feeling around the city, I remember walking home the next morning and walking down Compton Road and I just, I was wearing my wolf's top and I just kept getting beeped constantly and not, not in that kind of way, Jackie, before you start, but this is wolves, <laughs> wolves fans, just, <laughs> just, everyone was just shouting at each other and waving at each other and then the big parade they did at Molyneux, it was just unforgettable, I'll never forget that time. 
Well, I'm very pleased for you that you got your decision making right and that you went back to Wolverhampton. You went out, you saw players, you had fun, you went to the break. I had a nightmare because I got to lift back to Wolverhampton with my Sheffield United fan friend. But she was so upset, so upset. She wouldn't let us have the radio on in the car. I didn't have, you know, it's not like now you could just put the radio on. All I wanted to hear was 606. I just wanted to listen. She wanted to put music on. I was sitting on my hands. I couldn't beep anybody. And of course, I was used to having scarves out both sides of the car whenever I'd drive to Wolverhampton. There's none of that. And instead, you, 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 you were listening to Radiohead or something miserable oh, in the car. It was awful, <laughs> honestly. I just, oh, you know when you think, I've made, a, I've made a really bad decision here. I've had an absolute mare. And I should have just said, thanks very much, take my stuff. And I'm just going to go and find some people I know from the away end. <laughs> anyway, what a great day that was. It great was um, the colour of the away end. Just the gold and the just the emotion of, I think, when normal teams get promoted they probably just got relegated again you know a couple of years below uh, before and they're used to that yeah, but we exactly. just weren't used was, to that my generation and yeah oh love it anyway we should probably finish the pod shouldn't we <laughs> otherwise you'll catch me talking <laughs> yeah. about it yeah, all day long and okay that is it we mentioned last week about well claire evans as i called her but she's claire elliott these days because she um she's married since you know used to see her in away end and uh, in the pubs before games but claire elliott and her cancer treatment she's up to twelve thousand now needing an initial twenty one thousand. so if you go to she wolf uh, 1877 at she wolf 1877 and uh, she's got a gofundme page called cancer treatment for claire so if anybody does want to donate she's got lots of people giving small amounts in multiples which all adds up so i know she's um pretty grateful for that thank you tim why should people subscribe tim because we're really good at writing and stuff like that <laughs> And you can hear podcasts without any adverts on either, if that's what you like. There are a lot of brilliant podcasts, a lot of brilliant in-depth articles. There's still a lot of insight to be read and to be listened to via The Athletic. So do that's subscribe. Thanks very much. Salesperson than me. Yeah. You're much better writer than me, so we'll call it quits. <laughs> and we'll be back next week and we'll do the next decade. So do get your tweets into both Tim and me and we'll see you then. Bye for now. Bye.